your Bibles, if you'll turn back to uh, Mark's Gospel, the passage that we read, we started to read um, from verse uh, 38, and we're following through. Um, I thought that rather than give you facts and figures, which I researched and did, I thought, why not just watch the, show the video, the leprosy mission put out? because it gives us a, an idea. As we come to the Bible, it's reality. It is truth. Now, we talk about leprosy, and most of us here in the West think, well, that's something that happened years ago. And then even in the places where leprosy is still prevalent, a lot of people will think, well, you can't do anything about it. You just have to live with it. And one of the problems with the leprosy mission is that they go to these far off places, missionary aviation very often fly them there and when they get there the people are reluctant because they don't realize that maybe just taking some little bit of medication can not cure it but can contain it and so they go through the agony of that disease and let's remember that when we come to this passage it was very prevalent in those days and it was also seen as being very serious and it was taken serious by society so we're going to look at that in the light of that and here um, verse 38 Jesus replied let us go somewhere else to nearby villages why? because he was being distracted from his true purpose we're going to look at what that true purpose was. But in his words, it says, so I can preach also, because that is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, now Capernaum, which is where they were, is in Galilee, but they moved to a different part of Galilee. And don't forget, you wouldn't have to move very far away um, to be away from what was the media of the day <laughs> you can't go anywhere today but you know if we had no telephones and we had no um, television and very little radio which when I was a kid we didn't so you'd only have to move from where I lived in Mosley Village over to the other side of Kirby and you were in the lost world in fact we still use the phrase don't we when people are not in Liverpool what's the phrase we use Woolly backs, woolly backs, because, you know, they're way out there, you know, we, we don't know them. So we've got to keep that in mind as well. And we read about this man who had leprosy. I want us to stop and think about this as we go through it. We've only read a few verses, and the temptation is to highlight certain points and miss other points because we don't take the time to stop and think the man with leprosy what did he say he didn't say if you can the first thing to remember what he did say is if you are willing so he's not being presumptuous 
He's not coming with an expectancy that he will receive what he's asking for. But he has the knowledge that the person he's asking has the will to give it to him. That's important. That relates to us today. It's a good thought. I know he can. But I don't know if he will. And you know that leaves you with a choice. Do I go? Or do I not? He knew who it was could help him. He knew that if he went to that person, that person had the ability to help him. But he wasn't sure that he would. And he made the choice, and the choice was, I will go. That's a little bit of trust. Let's not call it faith yet. It's a little bit of trust. Shall I go to church? I think there'll be something there. And there might be someone who can help me. In fact, from what I've heard, there probably will be. Shall I go? Shall I stay? So there's a choice here. And not just a choice, a choice that was made in the mind of a man who wasn't sure whether it was the right choice, but he made the choice. Why does he approach Jesus in the way that he approached him? He came. And what did he say? A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. That's the lowest position you can go in humility. The kings of old recognized that. You'd have to bow before the king. If you get knighted, you have to kneel down. That's showing humility and recognition of the person you are in front of. So we still do it today. And if you go to the Queen, I mean, I don't know, do the ladies go, yes, ma'am, I'm not sure. And the gentlemen go, I'm not sure. But there's a protocol. You see, the humility is still recognizing. This man was as humble as you could get. He's on his knees and he begs. Why does he approach Jesus this way? Because he's aware of his hopeless state. That's the first thing. He can do nothing. He has a desire. He can do nothing about it. He himself is hopeless. He's cut off from his family. Why? Because those who love him, whether this man had a wife and children, we don't know, but whatever his family was, they shut him out. And he, in his humility for their protection, had to go and leave them. His friends would have deserted him. Society rejected him. Even the church, the religious leaders of the day, couldn't help him. In fact, they could do something. They could do something very positive. 
very legal, very right, and very proper in its time. What could they do? They could bar him from the temple. They could bar him from going into the synagogue. You are not allowed to worship God in any other way than if you are on your own. Because you can't come and join with us. He had to walk the streets and you know, I didn't realize it, but doing a bit of research on him, you know, the picture of the beggar in his rags. That was true. That was a reality. He had to wear the rags. Do you know why? So that people could recognize him. It was a uniform. You want to know if a policeman's a policeman, he has a uniform on. You want to know if a soldier is a soldier, he has a uniform on. You want to know a priest is a priest, he has the priestly garments on. You want to know if he's a leper, he has the rags and the tatters, and he has his mouth covered. Think about that. He wasn't wearing those clothes because he couldn't afford a new suit. He couldn't afford a new suit. But he wasn't allowed to have a new suit. Because if he had a new suit on, he would look too much like other people, and other people could mistakenly go up to him. And if people saw him, they would move away. And if they didn't move away, you know what he had to do? You know this. You know what he had to shout? Unclean, unclean. Uh, I know we make a joke about it, and it was a big joke in, in one of the Monty Python films, and we see it in that light, don't we? And we sometimes go, unclean, unclean. No, that was a reality for this man. If he was outside there, and we all walked out and he was by the gate. He would have had to have gone unclean. Unclean. Keep away. I had a bit of a cold. <laughs> I did a little bit of that. Keep away from me. Keep away. I think it's gone. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, I leave it to you whether you want to keep away or not. But he had to do that. Do you get a picture of, of this man? And even modern day in what we saw on, on the, the leprosy mission little film, it's still the same. People still keep away from me. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What's that got to do with us today? Why is it here in the Bible? Because it's speaking to us in our day. Oh, I don't know anybody with leprosy. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to go to a third world country. Why do I have to know? Well, God wants us to know. Because he wants us to know his circumstances. He wants us to know his situation. And he wants us to maybe put ourselves in his situation. But you mean I've got to imagine I've got leprosy? No, no. Don't imagine you've got leprosy. But I want you to know that you've got something else. And God wants you to know that you've got something else. We are to approach Jesus as this man approached him and at least once in our lives on our knees in the knowledge that we can do nothing ourselves in the knowledge that nobody else can do what we need to have done Paul dealt with this in Romans 3 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Eddie, we're not lepers. No, you're not. But you're all sinners. 
Let me rephrase that. We are all sinners. Every single one of us. But God loves us. God loved the world. Why? He gave his only begotten son. Why? So that none should perish. So that we could know the healing for the disease that we have. In this passage, in these few verses, they are filled with faith. And they are filled with compassion. If you want to put two words over this passage, put faith and compassion. That's what we have here. Jesus not only did something that the man that, let's just rephrase that, he couldn't do it. But Jesus also did something that nobody else could do. He also did something that nobody else would do. What did he do that nobody else could do? Well, we know that he healed. What did he do that nobody else would do? He touched him. Look at the miracles that Jesus did when he healed people. He didn't always touch them. In fact, on one occasion at least, he didn't even have to be there. He didn't have to touch the man to heal him. Mark didn't have to put that in his gospel. But he did. Why? So that we can see the extent of the love and the compassion. I'm going to do something for you that nobody else can do. And I'm going to do something that nobody else would do. In your true state, in your sinful state, you can't enter the presence of God. But when I touch you, you can. See how much is here in these few verses? We're just thinking about the man and his true state. I am willing. Loving sound for the ears of that man. And the leprosy left him. The man was healed. We've already said leprosy is a real disease. And this is a real incident that happened. This is a real man who had these problems. Who carried this burden. Who carried this weight. Who lived that life as a leper. And knew the salvation from that disease. And he knew the one who gave him that freedom. And scripture often uses leprosy as an illustration to help us understand sin. That's why I want to emphasize these elements of leprosy because they reflect the elements of sin. And this little passage is an illustration to help you and I understand the devastation that sin causes and it's far worse 
than having a debilitating disease. It's a terminal disease. The wages of sin is death. You don't get more worse than that, do you? And we've all got it. It shows us also how we can be set free from the consequences of the disease. You see the parallels? Leprosy, I haven't got leprosy, no, but you will see it. Leprosy is devastating. It's a disease unto death. Cuts you off from everybody. Sin, the result of death, cuts you off from God. <laughs> That's more than your friends and your family and, and everyone else. You read on. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony, a testimony to them, a witness to them. They couldn't heal him. But it was a witness to them that this man was now free from leprosy. You know, that's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? What's our testimony when we go out? I'm speaking to myself now. What's my testimony? As one who's been freed from the disease of sin and I go out, do I tell them about my spiritual healing? It's a challenge. But why did Jesus tell him to do this? Why did he do that? Well, when we look at the reason, it gives us a whole shed full of information. There's so much here. First of all, Jesus is faithful to the law because it's his law. It's God's law. He is God. He's faithful to the law. And he's been telling the people to be faithful to the law through the voice of Moses, through the writings of Moses, through the so-called teaching of, of the religious leaders, although they distorted it. So Jesus tells him to obey the law. Let me say one phrase that will maybe help clear this up. And the phrase is this. The curtain in the temple has not yet been ripped. What does that mean? Eh? Well, it means they're still under the law. Oh, I thought, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus is there. So we have here the Lord of the Old Testament, the truth of the New Testament, and the not in a big divide. There's a coming together, and it's Jesus who brings them together, and he completes what he's coming to do, and the law is then replaced, if you like, by his death on the cross. So the temple has the veil ripped from top to bottom, and now you don't need to go to the temple. But when you went to the temple, you went for the same thing. 
in those days when the veil was still there as you and I go to Jesus for salvation. It's the same Savior, only it hadn't physically happened yet. But they still came under the power of what God was doing. And I say doing because it wasn't the, it was that and then he did this. No, he was doing it all through the Old Testament. He's been doing it, doing it, doing it. Come to me. Come to me through the power of what my son is going to do when he dies on the cross. Come to me. So here, for this man, go to the temple. The veil is still there. Obey the law. Go and tell the priest. The priest will give you a, he'll write you, he'll give you a letter. I don't know what he got. You go back and tell everybody, I've got the piece of paper, I'm cured. They haven't cured him. He was cured by the power and the grace and the love of God. By Jesus. So, see what we're learning from this. See what I mean about, you just stop and think. Sometimes when you're preparing, and people will know this, a lot of the time, yeah, there's study, there's prayer. A lot of the time it's just sitting and thinking. God's given us that power as well. Put yourself in that position and just think a little bit further down the line. What, what is really happening here? We, we know the words that Jesus spoke to this man. But we don't know all the words that Jesus spoke to this man. And we're going to look at that in a few moments. I often quote um, Kipling, Rudyard Kipling. And the quote that I use mostly is this quote. I'll read it out so we get it right. I, I keep it up here, but I always get it mixed up. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Let them be your serving men when you consider these things. I'm going to do that now for a few minutes. Let's take what. What has Jesus been doing? He's been teaching. Right? Where was he teaching? In the synagogue. Right? Who was he teaching? Oh, the people in the synagogue. Yeah, but who were they? They were Jews. What was he teaching them? He was introducing himself to them. He was teaching about who the Messiah is. When he did that, who in the synagogue recognized him? Satan. The demons. Not the rabbis and the teachers. So Jesus was teaching them. Do you want to learn about printing? Listen up class. I'm going to tell you about printing. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Three main processes. Panographic. There's the panographic, which means it's plain, plain. And then you've got the, the, the raised, which is relief. That's another. You, you 
getting this, are you getting all this, yeah. And then you've got intaglio. Now intaglio is called gravure. And gravure, uh, when they print gravure, you can actually do um, 600 feet a minute. Good, isn't it? You're all bored, silly, because I'm not teaching you about printing. I'm telling you things which are true, and they're all relevant to printing. But what I need to do is talk to you about the history. How in the past, how people used it, how it came about. And then to tell you about what happens today. And to tell you about, which I've probably told some of you before, why um, Aldi have bigger barcodes than anybody else. No, interesting things. What I would do, I would lead you and teach you and bring you to the point. When we preach about the gospel, we don't just come out straight with it to people who don't know it. And so Jesus is teaching, how would he teach? He'd go into the synagogue. They would see him as some kind of a teacher. They would give him a scroll. We know this because it's an instant where he read it. And he would read and he would teach from the Old Testament. And what would he teach? He would teach the things that they knew in relation to who he was and would introduce himself to who he was. And that wasn't just he went into the synagogue and teached. It was a process. Let's look at the reality of these things. We, we read these words, we, we jump to the next bit. Let's get a hold of it. He would go in regularly and he would begin to teach. And some people would recognize something he has. He has a way about him which amazed them. And there'd come a point when some of them would recognize the fact that he could heal. And that's why they came. But Satan recognized it right away. That's why he sent his minions in to try and stop it and bring it down. And we have the account of when Jesus came to the point where he was about to reveal who he really was and he asked for the scroll from Isaiah and he read from Isaiah and he made it clear that he was now saying, I am the Messiah. And what did they do? They recognized it and they went and they wanted to kill him. But it didn't start there. It started at the beginning by him opening the Bible the Old Testament and reading and explaining and telling because that's what he came to do. Do you get that? And then the opposition was coming in. Don't tell anyone about what has happened. Go and fulfill the law. Go to the priest. Tell him you've been healed. Tell him you're better. Show him there's no scars. There's no sign. And he will then give you the authority. He'll give you the authority. What kind of authority? The authority to go back into society. The authority to go back to your family. The authority to be accepted by your friends. The authority to come here and speak in the temple. That's the authority that they could give. That was limited. Because they couldn't heal him. But they could do that. And because of the law, and the law was still there, and it was God's law, and Jesus wrote the law, he says, go and do it. But don't tell them how it happened. Why? Because they're not ready yet. They're not ready. If they get to know too early, they'll come up with the wrong assumption. What did they do? They came up with the wrong assumption. I read verse 38 because we've done that passage before. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is what I have come to do because people were coming to be healed and he could do that. 
and he did that because of his love and compassion, but it was taking him away from what he should have been doing. And what do we read now after this? When this leper, and I, you can't blame him, can you? You can't. Do you think he just walked down the road and said, well, I bet he, I bet he couldn't get to the temple quick enough. I bet he was skipping it about. And, you know, you can't keep a secret. <laughs> We're all guilty of that. It's called gossip. <laughs> and we all do it. And he had something to gossip about. And you could see somebody maybe see him and go to, oh, you don't have to step back. Look, 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 I'm clean. How that? Oh, you, you won't believe this, but don't tell anybody. But Jesus, I won't tell anybody. Okay. And he gets a bit near the temple to somebody else. And the same thing happens. What, what, what are you doing here? Get away from me. You still got all these raggy clothes on. Yeah, but I'm not a leper now. Well, well look, look, look. There's no, no, you know, look, look. Wow. That happened. Uh, well, don't tell anybody. I've been told not to say anything. But he did. And what happened? Instead, he went and began to talk freely. He was spreading the news as a result. News spreads fast. It really does. Even without your iPhone or your phone. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. Yet the people still came from everywhere see that it's a hindrance because he's not yet ready how many times did he say my time has not yet come it's not ready it's not time for things start to steam away this is you know really what we need to know about these things I think what I'll probably do is I'll probably finish there because it's a good place to finish. A and I think we've. Oh, there's no trouble here. We've seen, or we've reached a point where I, I think y y you're going to now be able to look at and think about, and you can do this as you read on. We've seen the expectations of the leper and they were limited because he recognized his true state before Jesus and he came in the knowledge that Jesus could do what needed doing the only question was would he you're going to see people now who are going to come with a different attitude with a different expectation and their expectations are far below the expectations of what Jesus can actually do what he came to do what he had to do what he did do and these expectations are influenced by a misunderstanding of who Jesus really was and that's our next sort of passage that we're going to look at and this leads into it because you can see just by me saying that you can see why Mark is putting these things together. Why there's a relation between the leper and what's going to happen next. You know, we can't take them as individual instances, but we've got to look at them as what's really happening. And we get the full picture. So I'm going to finish there, and we'll, we'll take up with that next next time. Now, next week, um, in the notices, did I say next Sunday? I don't think I did. Next Sunday is Breakfast Church. So it's Breakfast Family Church next Sunday. So this passage will be continued uh, a week on Sunday, but there will be food, uh, physical food, and also spiritual food uh, next Sunday as well.
Um, we're going to have a time of fellowship around the Lord's table, and uh, let's do that now together before we sing out.